Welcome to another episode of Love and War, the podcast in which the irresistible force overcomes the immovable object. I'm your host, Lee Ballinger. I'm an author, poet, and producer based in Los Angeles. If you want to know more, check out my bio on Facebook, L-E-E-B-A-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. You can hit me up at rockrap at AOL.com. R-O-C-K-R-A-P, or on Facebook. Regarding net neutrality, the Internet was developed entirely with public funds and then subsequently given away to the corporations. If they had been paying a royalty to the public treasury all this time, all our needs would be met. Of course, that didn't happen. The only long-term solution is to repossess the Internet and return it to its rightful owners. That would be us. On November 10th, the Denver Post published a guest commentary by high school student Annie Vasquez. The headline is, After racially charged dispute, Manual and Weld Central students heal division together. Annie Vasquez broke it down like this. Students from Manual High School in Denver met with students from Weld Central High School following a dispute in September between the schools. Officials from Manual accused players and fans of the Weld Central Rebels of using racial slurs during the game and displaying a Confederate flag. Two weeks ago, student representatives from Manual High School and Weld Central High School came together with one distinct goal, to connect with one another as representatives of two deeply divided communities. Division came on September 22nd, when feelings and allegations of racism swept through both communities after a football game. Manual High students said they saw a Confederate flag in the stands and said that Weld County players used racial slurs on the field. I was preparing to tell each Weld Central student exactly how I felt about their school and their community. I justified these thoughts by convincing myself that they didn't deserve my respect after the adversity we faced with their football team on our home field. What soon came, however, was an experience that I was not expecting. Student leaders started our conversation in the Weld Central Library. We sat in groups with a mix of students from each school to begin the introductions. I don't think a single mind in that room knew what to prepare for, but everyone was willing to talk, and that was the most important thing. Writing down our initial thoughts from the events that started after the game and continued for weeks after and sharing them out was the first vulnerable step we took. We anticipated silence, but no one struggled to speak about what was on their mind, which I appreciated because if any change were to happen, we needed to be raw and real with each other. After, 
While the Well Central Student Council gave us a tour of their school, the other manual students and I noticed the many similarities between our school in the middle of Denver and theirs in rural Weld County. Of course, we have different lifestyles, but all of the students noticed that we had the same kind of close-knit community and small family-based student body. Every teacher we met at Weld Central reminded the manual students of a teacher we loved at our own school. We were beginning to ease up, and I recognized how we almost clicked as friends and as one community. After two hours at Weld Central, it was time to show off our home, our community, and our family. We commuted back into the city to give them a tour of Manuel, and we all sat in a circle and discussed the initial thoughts, misconceptions, and stereotypes we had of one another. There were things that were said that could have been taken offensively by either side, but when difficult comments were made, they were received with understanding and desire to learn. What prevented blame and anger was the fact that we had spent the whole day trusting each other and accepting the reality of both our differences and our surprising similarities. This student exchange was so powerful that we began talking about what our next steps were going to be, steps to share this experience with the student body at our schools. The reality is that there are people who aren't so open-minded, but we all agreed to take this step by step, knowing that not everyone will get it but that we cannot let that get in the way of change. This experience was so important to me because we are stronger together. Communities coming together is in the most powerful and influential way to bridge the gap that separates us. No matter how different two groups seem to be, the truth is always that we are stronger together. I have a new book out called Love and War, My First 30 Years of Writing. You can download a copy absolutely free at loveandwarbook.com. That's loveandwarbook.com. Let me know what you think of it. In Dreamland, the true tale of America's opioid epidemic, Sam Canonis writes, In this opiate scourge, it is the private sector that has taken the profits. The costs of dealing with the vast collateral damage have fallen to the public sector. A couple months after this book's publication, Forbes counted the Sackler family, owners of Purdue Pharmaceuticals, makers of OxyContin, as the richest newcomer to the magazine's list of America's richest families, with an estimated net worth of $14 billion. All of that was due to sales of OxyContin, which the magazine estimated at $35 billion since the drug's release in 1996. 
Most of the nearly $1.5 trillion that Americans owe in student debt is backed by the federal government. If borrowers fall behind on those loans, the feds can garnish wages or seize tax refunds. There are also over $100 billion in private student loans. The New York Times writes, quote, The tide of rising defaults has also turned into a lucrative business with private companies collecting tens of millions of dollars through settlements, garnishments, and other compelled payments, unquote. For example, Transworld System has filed more than 38,000 lawsuits against aspiring students in just the past three years. According to the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, Transworld sued consumers for student loans they couldn't prove road and filed false and misleading affidavits in courts across the country. There's only one way out of the entire student loan mess. Make college free to all. Wait, you ask. Is there a way to pay for the costs without giving our blood to the financial vultures? Yes, there is. In 1947, corporations paid 49% of all taxes. Although often prone to bad behavior, they were a part of the American family. Today, corporations are mere parasites outside the circle, paying 7% of all taxes, a number that is moving rapidly towards zero. Yet, corporations demand effective control of everything we've built and paid for in common. Highways, airports, the Internet, and education. As a down payment on all the corporations owe us, let them pay for our schooling. Pay up or lay up. As the great poet Best Kep of A Mike and Dim Lights says, If you ask me, education should be free, K-16, through with a break in between. Do I speak for the world? Let's finish up with a quote of the week. This time from Stan Van Gundy, coach of the Detroit Pistons, who said, Colin Kaepernick has been denied employment for the act of taking a knee to draw attention to the issue of police killings of men of color. Tommy Smith and John Carlos were denied employment and advancement in their post-athletic careers because they raised a fist on the victory stand at the 1968 Olympics. These athletes and many others are risking future contracts and endorsement opportunities to speak out on issues of racial injustice because they feel duty-bound to do so. These are patriots of the highest order. That's it for now. If you see me on the street, smile back. Well, together we stand, divided we fall. Come on now, people, let's all get on the ball and work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. Here now, people, because together we will stand every ball.